you have these narrations in Judaism, it is forbidden to call God by his true name. You find that in the narrations of Muhammad and the family of Muhammad, that it is forbidden to name the 12th Imam by his name, just in the same way as YHWH in Judaism, the same thing here. Meme, M, Ha, H, Meme, M, Dead, D. My dear sister Tiffany. Thank you so much for having me back today. Oh, thank you for being back. So today we want to talk about um, a really important topic. And that is the topic of the secret name slash names of God. Okay. Okay. So we have this kind of theme that pops up in religion, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, less so in Christianity, more so in Judaism and in Shia Islam, not even so much Sunni Islam, although it does appear a little bit. Okay. And this is this concept that there are these secret names or a secret name of God that if pronounced can bestow superpowers upon the individual. Uh, so the idea that the you know that was that was written about it was that when when God uh, met Moses at the burning bush. You know, Moses, he goes there, um, you know, he hears God's voice. It's this voice that's coming from 360 degrees. He looks, he sees that uh, there's this burning bush in front of him. It's fire, but it's not like normal fire. The bush itself is not burning, but it there's this fire that's on it, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so he asks, he asks, you know, God at the end of the conversation, you know, so he gets all these commandments from him. He gets all of these, um, you know, all this information, you know, he gets all this direction from him. And at the very end, Moses says to God, okay, well, when the Israelites ask me, you know, when I go back to him and I say that, like, you have to do this and you got to do this and this is the plan and these are the commandments, you know, when they ask me, who sent you? What should I say? Which is crazy because it's 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 either it's either one of two things. Either Moses at that point knows who sent him, and and he just knows that it's a secret, and so therefore he's asking God for for what name he would like to be called by in public you know mm -hmm. or at that point moses doesn't even know who he's talking to and he doesn't even know who's sending him yeah. and then the response comes back you know to moses that you know tell them i am that i am sent me yeah i am that i am and then after that the idea became that 
God did not want to tell them his name directly, you know, but it was, it was more like a response whereby he's just telling them, you know, that it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. I am, you know, all that you think that I am. Yeah. I am the God of gods. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Instead of telling them that, like, my name is Jack, or my name is John, or my name is Joshua, right? Yeah. But then later on in the Bible, we see that there are some people who actually come to learn and know that God does have this name. But it's a sacred name that nobody else is allowed to know except for the priests that is, you know, the head priest that is dealing with the Ark of the Covenant, that is the Hujja of the time, so to speak, or the uh, person who is communicating, who's left in charge to communicate uh, between God and between the people. Yeah. And even in writing in the Hebrew Bible, it became impermissible to write the name of God. And so how did they write it? The four letters. Yeah. Yeah. Y-H-W-H. That's how we, we have it in, I mean, that's how we translate it into English, but obviously it was in the ancient Hebrew language. Yeah. So then, so then God became referred to in two ways. One, he was referred to as Hashem, which means the name. Yeah. You know, so whenever they'd want to refer to like God, Instead of, instead of saying, you know, it would be like for Christians, instead of saying Jesus, all right, because they consider Jesus to be God, it would be impermissible. It's too much to call him Jesus. So instead of calling him Jesus, you know, the people that did not yet know him, you know, to that level, they could only refer to him as the name, you know, yeah, okay. when, when talking about him. So okay. they wouldn't say Jesus went and did or said such and such, they would say the name went and said such and such. Okay. It would almost be like the word Allah for Muslims is forbidden for anybody to, to, to name, um, you know, or to say, but rather you would have to uh, refer to it as Al-Ism. Okay. Okay? Okay. All right. And then when it, there is a clue though, that there are these four letters because it, other points he's referred to as these four letters, which yeah. is the YHWH, with all vowels removed from the name itself. And it's unclear if there are other, um, you know, letters besides the vowels that were moved. But the idea is that if you take any, any word and you remove from it the vowels, it becomes unknown how it is that you would pronounce it. Yeah. You can't pronounce Y-H-W-H. No, so, you can't. Yeah. And there's, there becomes like a multitude of ways that you could pronounce it. Yeah. You know, so you could pronounce it Yahweh or Yehu, or you could pronounce it Jehovah. Or, so there becomes all of these different ways of being able to pronounce the name. So essentially, the name is safeguarded and it's lost. Yeah. There are these traditions that mention that the 
it, the rabbis wrote and said that the name was once known, um, and it was 12 letters, um, and the people they, they, that weren't deserving, um, they all knew the name, and when they knew the name, they realized that the truth or the reality was not as they thought. And so instead of adjusting their thinking to what it really is, what they did was, is they corrupted the meaning and twisted the truth instead. And for that reason, that's part of the reason why the name uh, was taken from them once again, and they were not allowed to, or it was lost, and they were not allowed to speak it openly. Wow. That's very interesting. Yeah, so from that we 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 come to the conclusion that uh, there's a heavy reality or understanding that comes along with knowing this name. Um, we know that in both Judaism and Islam, uh, Adam, he knew this name. There were a few prophets and messengers that did know the name. And there were many prophets and messengers that only knew parts of the name, okay. you know, or certain letters from the name. Uh, in the Quran, when it says, and God taught Adam all of the names, this is an indication that Adam clearly knew also the name of God because it is an unlimited statement. You know, there's no exceptions to it when it says all of the names. So it's all of the names of the things in addition to the name of God. And the assumption is, is that because he knew the true name of God, that uh, he gained authority and power over uh, the angels and all other uh, living beings. Wow. Yeah, and that makes sense. It does say clearly that he knew the names of, of all, all things. things. But there are traditions, hadith from the Ahl Bayt um, that state that other prophets and messengers, they didn't know um, the names of, the, well, the full name of, of God. And there's also this concept in Islam that there is the greater name of God. So, so in Islam, Allah, or the 99 names of God, they, these would just be names of God. Okay. Okay. Like attributes of God. Or yeah, but, but at the end something. of the day, they're just names of God. Okay. Okay. But then there's this, there's this thing that appears in the narrations where there's this greater name of God. Okay. And the greater name of God, um, it's not explicitly said exactly what it is. Sometimes it's said what it is, you know, and, and there are traditions that state that huwa or he is the greater name or bismillah rahman rahim is the greater name or um you know that al-hayyul qayyum is the uh, greater name uh, the the ever uh, the, the 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 one who is living and the everlasting the one who is able to rise from his own self uh, or sustain creation from his own self they say in some narrations that this is the greater name but in most narrations, uh, it is a secret and remains a secret. And then there's something which is the greater, greater name of God. And then there's something which is thrice great, the greater, greater, greater name of God. Al-Ism al-Azam and Al-Ism al-Azam al-Azam and Al-Ism al-Azam al-Azam al-Azam. Okay. The narrations state 
that the greater name of God or the greater, greater, greater name of God, it's unclear then like which of the greater names it is that has this amount of letters, but it is stated in some narrations that it has 72 letters. Wow. That when that the name is so long and it's so great and a person can com, com, compile it uh, and it consists of 72 letters and there's actually it actually it really is made up of 73 letters the narration state but the ones who have the greater 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 name in almost its entirety is Muhammad and the family of Muhammad, and they only have 72 letters out of the 73 letters. Okay. And that the only one who has the final letter is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. God Almighty himself is the only one who has that last letter. And it is stated that nobody can know God unless fully, unless they know all of the letters. Oh. So as much as you have letters, that's as much as you know of God. And as much as you know of God is as much as um, you are able to perform miracles or, uh, you know, command things in the name of God and it responds to you. You know, it's the higher that your soul gets is the more that you know from his name. And it's kind of like if you're, to simplify things, if you're speaking to an individual, you know, and you don't know their name, then you obviously like, you know them very little. Like it's like they're a stranger to you. Yeah. In the same way, God of the Old Testament, even though he was with the Israelites and he was their God and they were his people and he chose them and they took him as a Lord over them, you'll notice that they always keep going astray. Yeah. And they were like strangers to God and God was like a stranger. Well, they weren't strangers to God. God knew them very well, yeah. but he remained a stranger to them. And so this idea that God was like the stranger to the Israelites and they never knew him by name. And at the same time, they continued to disobey him and always do those things which upset him uh, is quite interesting. Yeah. And Ahmed al he gave this example, you know, in the Book of Monotheism, uh, when speaking about the greater name of God, where he said that, like, for example, if a person knew Muhammad, all of the letters of the name Muhammad. And if you knew him, uh, it, you know, you you know, if you knew all those letters, you could and and the name, you would you could say, I know Muhammad, right? Yeah. But if you're missing the del, if you're missing the d in the end of Muhammad, can you still say that you know Muhammad? No, you would say then that you know Muhammad, and that's a whole different character. Yeah. You know, oh my gosh, you can yeah. grab the attention of the individual by calling their name. Yeah. So your name is Tiffany, right? Yes. Yeah. If if I say Tiffany, you're going to look back at me, yeah. right? Because I grabbed your attention because I called you by your name. The same idea with God. If I if I said if I just said, "Hey Tiff," you would probably still look. Yeah. And that's why, you know, those prophets and messengers that knew some of the letters from the holy name, they could still know enough of the letters to grab the attention of God and that he would, um, you know, respond to their supplication 
you know, because they knew him partially, but they didn't know him in his entirety. To call you Tiff, maybe this is just kind of like a, a uh, uh, you know, a satahi type of relationship, a, um, you know, a friendship, a colleague might call you something like this, where maybe, maybe somebody that's closer to you in a more intimate setting would call you Tiffany, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, by your, by your because that's kind of yeah. like a nickname. This is your full name. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And somebody who even knew you better would call you Tiffany Oldani. Mm -hmm. And then somebody who knew you better than that would know, for example, the name of your father or the name of your grandfather. Yeah. Right. So the more names that they know about Tiffany, the more intimate the relationship is, the more that they are close to this um, individual. The yeah. same thing over here. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's a beautiful way of, of thinking about it, this relationship of, of the name, knowing the, the letters of the name and this closeness to God. It's a very interesting way of, of thinking about it that I never thought of before. In the narrations too, it's, it's unclear. Um, you know, when it says like the letters, you know, and that there's 72 letters, it's unclear if those letters are the same like our letters. Yeah. Yeah. So, for example, for example, it's unclear if Alif would be counted as one letter or not. Okay. Alif is like the A of Arabic. Yes. And the A of uh, Hebrew. So it's, un it's unclear because in some narrations, the Ahl Bayt they say that Alif Lam Mim in the beginning of one of the surahs, that this makes up one letter. Even though it's three Arabic letters that are combined together, these three Arabic letters count in the narration as one of the letters from the 72 or 73 letters that make up the greater, greater, greater name of God. Very interesting. It is. Yeah. And that's one of the mysteries in the Quran is that in the Quran, yeah. they have um, these, these letters that are called like the cut up letters uh, in the beginning of certain surahs uh, in the Quran, yeah. like Alif Lam Mim, Alif Lam Mim Ra, you have Noon, you have Taha, Alif Lam Mim Saad, um, you know, so people have been confused as to what these letters in the very beginning of the of the of certain surahs are even referring to some have said oh these are names different names of the prophet muhammad that one of his names is noon and one of his names is taha and one of his names is you know other people have said that no what it is is that some of these letters are actually referring to or are code words for the imams from the Ahl Bayt okay. you know so you might have uh, you know because because the Arabic letters are 28 and there are 14 letters that are called the Al-Huruf Nuraniya, the light letters and it is these light letters that are mentioned um, at the beginning of certain verses from the Quran so half of 28 which is the complete alphabet in Arabic, is 14. There's 14 infallibles. And therefore, mm. each one of these letters represents one of the infallibles. So one of them is Fatima al-Zahra, one of them is Imam Ali, one of them is Muhammad. They're code words 
for um, you know for their names. That is really fascinating. I've I've always wondered about these letters that in the beginning of certain surahs, yeah, yeah, because they're quite a mystery. What are they doing there? What is the meaning of them? And it's interesting to hear this uh, potential explanation. Yeah, other other people have said that they represent certain prophets and messengers that that have come through uh, throughout history. Uh, but what we do know for sure from the narrations of the Ahlul Bayt is that. It is, they are all letters from the greater, greater, greater name of God that only the Hajjah from the Ahl Bayt Salam, he can take them and he can, he can basically formulate them together, mesh them together or invent from them the, not invent, but like he'll be able to discover, rediscover like pieces from the puzzle. You put them all together and then it forms the greater 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 a uh, name of god so the idea is that the great, great the secret name of god is in the quran uh you know but it's like cut up by these light words uh, light letters being uh, split up and that if they're combined together they will reveal that name and if you know the name you can call upon the deity and the deity will always respond because now you have an intimate relationship uh, with him if you can uh, if you can get to know his name then now you become God's friend like Abraham was okay. you know where now like you know he'll tell you what his name is as to where before he's a stranger to most people yeah amazing yeah so that in short is the the idea um and uh, you know for the jews like the the you know knowing that name was important because because the head priest that would go uh, behind the curtains in the holiest of holies and he knew the name of god he would be protected from being struck down and killed as mm -hmm. to where somebody else if they didn't know the name of god and they walk into his house you they know die, yeah uh, and they violate his sanctity and they uh, are in his presence without having been invited it would be like a stranger that's breaking into a home and what would you do if you woke up one day and there's a stranger in your home you would strike them down right yes, you would attack yeah. them because they entered into your home without permission mm -hmm. the same thing is going on uh, there well yeah it makes perfect sense and, and that explains why this was the case that uh, people who would enter without permission they would be struck down it was not allowed for people to to enter god's presence without having uh, been given permission exactly okay so now we have moses um you know he goes and he encounters god god is in the fire at the burning bush mm -hmm. God doesn't want that the rest of the Israelites know, you know, what his true name is. Mm -hmm. But he tells Moses, uh, and we know that he tells Moses because there's other priests that end up knowing the name. So, and Moses was greater than them, so therefore he must have told Moses. Yeah. And then, you know, he commands Moses to build for him this ark, this yeah. house. It's a house that can be transported that can move from place to place and this house becomes referred to as the ark of the covenant yeah. and so now this spirit which is the spirit of god that is dwelling 
in the tree, in the bush. And that according to narrations, formerly dwelt upon the top of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden of Eden. And that it also has another name, and its name is this Shekinah. And Arabic, it would be the Sakina. And, uh, and there's an Arabic and Hebrew, there's always this like uh, uh, change, interchange between the sheen and the scene. Okay. That's why, just FYI, like that's why Muslims will say, Assalamu alaikum, yeah. peace be upon you. And the Jews will say, Shalom alaikum, mm-hmm. right? Because the, the scene becomes a sheen with them, and the sheen is a scene over here. Okay, okay? interesting. Yeah. yeah. So it's very, very similar, the language, and we can talk about that uh, in another episode. So, Salam, Shalam, Sakina, Shakina, yeah. this tranquility. Okay. That's what Sakina means, tranquility. This tranquility was resting in the Shekinah, the spirit of God, was resting above the tree in the garden. And then when it meets Moses, it's, meet, it's meeting Moses in the bush. Yeah. Then it doesn't want to stay in the bush anymore. It needs to rest somewhere, to dwell somewhere. Yeah. Okay? Sakina also means to dwell. And so it commands him to make the ark, and it dwells in the ark and above the ark and hidden behind the wings of the two cherubim that is on top of the Ark of the Covenant, right? Right above the throne of mercy, which is at the center between the two uh, wings of the of the cherubim. Yeah. And now, because he has this, this new home, the home is, is able to be carried. Yes. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And he's very specific about how he wants it built. He wants these images of angels. He wants it you know, plated in gold. It has to be made from this, you know, uh, certain type of wood. Yes. It all has to be done perfectly. Yeah. Then what takes place? Do you know? Um, the Spirit of God dwells in the Ark yeah. of the Covenant. But they build a tent for it. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they make a special room in the tent for the Ark to be in. Yes. And they draw these curtains in front of the ark. Yeah. And when they build the temple, the same thing takes place. There's this room which is the holiest of holies. Yes. Right? Yeah. That's veiled. Yeah. And and that's where he dwells. And there's this distance that is between him and the rest of the Israelites. And only those who are God's chosen representatives can approach and cross beyond the veil. Yes, exactly. The priests, the people who exactly. are allowed to enter. Yeah. Exactly. And this whole thing, it, it you see this concept, um, you know, paralleled on a greater scale in the story of Al-Isra' wal-Ma'raj, or the night ascension of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi where, you know, if you imagine the, the temple, and it has this outer courtyard where mm-hmm. most of the Israelites were, and then you can go into the tabernacle, and then in the end you get to the holiest of holies behind this veil. The same thing is playing out in creation, whereby you have the Prophet Muhammad and you have these different heavens and these different realms, 
and the Prophet was able to cross through all of them and he is the only one who was allowed on the night journey to cross beyond the veil the emerald veil that was between God and the rest of creation. So on a larger scale, on a macro scale, God is behind this veil, right? Yes. And creation is below. And with the Israelites, uh, the, the I am that I am, he is also behind the veil in the holiest of holies and the only one who who could cross is the chosen vicegerent of God. Yes. Yeah. It, it does parallel exactly. There are these barriers between um, most of creation and God, and Prophet Muhammad was able to break through these barriers and come so close to yeah. to God, only two boats length uh, distance from God. So, yes, he was the one who was able to to be in the presence of God because he he knew God, mm-hmm. right? And then you have the Quran describing what it is that is in this Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant in Arabic is called Tabut As-Sakina. And in Judaism and in Islamic narrations and traditions, the Tabut of the Sakina, the coffin of the Shakina is what it's translated to. Okay, because it, it basically was built as if it was one of those ancient Egyptian coffins. Yeah. In the same form. Okay. That they would put in there the body parts. Yeah. Except there's no body parts in, in the Ark of the Covenant. In the place of the body parts or the organs that they used to contain in the jars, what did they place in the Ark of the Covenant? According to Islamic narrations and Jewish narrations, in there was some relics that were left behind by the family of Moses and the family of Aaron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. What were those relics? Uh, the staff or the rod of Aaron. Yeah. The manna. Um, and the tablets that yes. had the commandments of God. And there are narrations that state that there was one or two other items, but we'll leave that for now. Okay. Okay. In the Quran. It says that in the Tabutis Sakina is a remnant, Baqiyya, from that which was left by the families of Moses and Aaron. Okay. This word Baqiyya, or the remnant of that which was left from them, the remnant of God, only appears in the Quran twice. Okay. Okay. Once in the verse that has to do with the Sakina. Okay. Okay. The Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. And another verse in which it states, The remnant of God is better for you if you are believers. Okay. Okay. So now we have this spirit the shekinah it's talking and then we have it being associated with the ark of the covenant and then we have the verse saying that that it's the remnant of god and the family of god moses and aaron that had you know that's left in the in the in the ark of the covenant the ark of the covenant is the home of the deity and then we have this other verse that says the remnant of god is 
better for you if you are believers. Okay. The interpretation of this verse, which is what is quite stunning and odd and bewildering to the mind, is that the verse itself ends up being interpreted by the Ahlul Bayt as being a verse that is referring to the 12th Imam Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Askari Okay. Baqiyatullah is a name that is given by the family of Muhammad to the 12th Imam because he is the final Imam, the only living remnant of the 14 infallibles or the 12 Imams, the remnant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because the family of Muhammad are referred to as the family of Allah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's really interesting. It is extremely interesting. But it even gets more mysterious and interesting than that. Because just as you have these narrations in Judaism that state that it is forbidden to call God by his true name, you find that in Shia Islam, in the narrations of Muhammad and the family of Muhammad, it is stated that it is forbidden to name the 12th Imam by his name. Really? Yeah. Okay. So there's a narration that says that his body is not seen and his name is not said. Okay. Well. But yet people think that his name is Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Askari. Yeah. But it seems that the 12th Imam has a name that's forbidden or has a, has a secret name, a greater name. There's a reality to his name that's not stated. Just in the same way as YHWH in Judaism, the same thing here. Okay. And his name, Muhammad, is literally cut up in some narrations. In the, in the tradition of the will, for example, in one narration it states that, you know, and then if death comes to Al-Hasan Al-Askari, let him pass it on, the 11th Imam, let him pass it on, meaning the matter, to his son, the safeguarded from the family of Muhammad, whose name is Mim, M, Ha, H, M, Mim, Dad, D, M, H, M, D. Okay. All the vowels are removed from the name Muhammad, and we're left with those four letters, M, H, M, D, just like all the vowels are removed from the name of God in the Old Testament. And we're left with those four letters, Y-H-W-H. Same thing that's happening here is the same thing that's happening here. The traditions state that only a disbeliever, Judaism says only a disbeliever, would, would dare pronounce the name of God, the true name of God. There are narrations from Muhammad and the family of Muhammad that say that the 12th Imam, nobody calls him by his name except a disbeliever. Wow. And yet other narrations mention him as being, his name is Muhammad. Okay. So he has like an apparent name and a hidden name. Exactly. 
I mean, that's a fascinating parallel because, I mean, as you mentioned, the, there's this parallel between the four letters and the four letters and nobody knows how, how they should be pronounced. And uh, this connection between the remnant being the Ark and the remnant being the 12th Imam, it's very interesting that there are these parallels going on between uh, Judaism and the understanding of God and in Islam as well, and in the narrations. Well, in some narrations, Imam Ali salam, he says that he is the greater name of God. And in the narrations uh, of the Ahlul Bayt salam, uh, they refer to themselves, the members of the household, as being the names of God. Okay. Okay? Okay. And, and the twelfth Imam is being mentioned as being the remaining part from that name of God. Okay. And so we have something that's fascinating that's taking place here something that's mysterious. Yeah. And I think that it's even more mysterious that that remaining part of God, Baqiyatullah, and the Shia all know this, and they make du'as, and they ask God to hasten the relief of Baqiyatullah, because he went into an absence, he went into an occultation, he disappeared, people don't see him. Hence the hadith says, his name is not said, and his body is not seen. And so it makes you wonder, what is the great secret that is behind the mysterious division of the letters, or the cutting up of the letters of the name of MHMD? When we investigate a little bit further in the narrations, we find that Imam Ali states in some of the narrations all of his names and all of the things that he did throughout history. And he states that he is the one who struck on behalf of David when David hit Goliath. And he says that he is the one who brought down the punishment upon the people of Noah. And he's the one who did this and he's the one who did that. And then one of the things that he mentions is that he is Mukallim Musa, the speaker to Moses. He is the one who spoke to Moses. Okay. Who spoke to Moses? I am that I am. Yes. Who's saying that he spoke to Moses? Imam Ali. The same Imam Ali who also stated that he was the greatest name of God. Right, oh. the greatest sign of God, yeah. and who's a member of the household. Oh, this is extremely interesting, though. It's very interesting. It is extremely interesting. And very mysterious. Very, yeah. very, very mysterious. Now, the narrations then later, they also state that the Mahdi, and they're talking about the time of the Mahdi, they say, they're describing all of the signs that are going to take place. And then one narration states, and so when all that happens, then expect the appearance of the one who spoke to Moses on the mountain. Okay. 
So now we have what? We have the narrations saying that it was the Ahlul Salam, Imam Ali specifically, that spoke to Moses from the burning bush. And that in the time of the Mahdi, the, the character, I am that I am, that spoke to God, spoke to Moses on the burning bush is going to reappear again. But it's referring to him as the Mahdi. Yeah. So I am that I am, that was with Moses, was actually Muhammad and the family of Muhammad. Yeah. yeah. And, and I am that I am that spoke to Moses will be in the time of the Mahdi and that actually he is the Mahdi. Wow. That's amazing. Or he is a Mahdi. Yeah. Okay. Okay? Okay. And then you have the same treatment of the name of the 12th Imam, MHMD, as YHWH. YHWH is invisible from the Israelites. They never see him. Yeah. He's veiled. He's hidden. Yeah. 12th Imam, Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Askari, he's veiled from yeah. the Muslims. He's hidden. He's the hidden imam. He's in an occultation. He's the hidden imam, yeah. so to speak. Yes. Wow. But he is the remnant of God, like the remnant that's left in the ark. Yeah. Right? Which yeah. is the actually literally the literal dwelling place of the Shekinah. Yeah. That is fascinating. It is fascinating. I, I mean, I, the parallels are so clear. It is clear, and people have associated in the past, especially in Christianity, the Shekinah with being the Holy Ghost. Yes. Or the Holy Spirit. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Or the Spirit of God. Yes. The Spirit of God that was blown into Adam. Well, the narrations from Muhammad and the family of Muhammad, they state that the prostration of the angels to Adam was not really a prostration to Adam, but it was a prostration to the light of Muhammad and the family of Muhammad which was blown into Adam. Wow. Yeah. So that means that Muhammad and the family of Muhammad, they are the light of God, the spirit of God. And they spoke to Moses and they were with every prophet and messenger. And they're going to appear in the time of the Mahdi. I am that I am yeah. makes a comeback. And then essentially what they're saying is that the God of the Old Testament is Muhammad and the family of Muhammad. Yeah. The Ahl Kisa. Yeah. That's I am Muhammad, Fatima, Jesus, Al Hassan, Al Hussein, and Ali ibn Abi Talib. Those six, the people of the cloak, yeah. Muhammad Ali, Fatima, Al Hassan, Al Hussein, Gabriel, who is Jesus. Yeah. That those six are. I am that I am. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they are the ultimate, the ultimate God. Yeah. But it means that they are that spirit of God. Yes. That came first in the form of Jesus. And then Jesus says, I'm going to send a, another member yes. of the, right? And then yeah. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa comes and we have an episode about that, the paraclete that's yeah. on the uh, channel. And they appear at this moment, and it was them that enforced all of the prophets and the messengers, and all of them had a part of the spirit in them, but they manifested in its entirety as Jesus and as Muhammad and as the 14 infallibles. That is, I mean, it, it just 
perfectly blends uh, uh, all of these three faiths and and all of all of the um, all of all of these verses. I mean, uh, it, it it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. And and as you as you mentioned, the it's part of the Jewish faith that that the spirit that spoke that I am that I am that spoke to Moses at the burning bush was residing in the Ark of the Covenant and. They're waiting for that spirit to return also in in the end times uh, when the temple is rebuilt and the ark is restored and, and the spirit is going to come back. So exactly. everybody's actually waiting for the same thing. And and it comes in the form of the 12th Imam. It's so beautiful. Yeah. So the 12th Imam is the ark of the covenant. Yeah. It's a more beautiful dwelling place for for this spirit, you know, uh, a, a man uh, is a more beautiful dwelling place for the spirit of God. Absolutely. If people believe that the spirit of the Lord um, could dwell in a bush or in a, in our, in a wooden box yeah. that's plated in gold, then they have to believe that uh, it can dwell in, an, in a more honorable place and a human being is more honorable than wood and he's more honorable than gold and he's more honorable of a creation and more beloved of a creation to God than the bush. And so when God speaks to mankind from the bush or from the ark, we have to believe also that God can speak to mankind through a human being. And uh, he does so uh, in the most perfect way. Uh, in perfect ways through the prophets and the messengers up to Jesus. He spoke to him perfectly through Jesus and perfectly through Muhammad and the family of Muhammad. Well, God bless you, Tiffany. Let's stop there and inshallah we'll continue in another episode. Thank you so much for this beautiful explanation and such an amazing topic. And uh, I can't wait to learn more from you. Assalamu alaikum.